Chapter Eight of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. April's Lady by Margaret Hungerford. Chapter Eight. I have no other but a woman's reason. I think him so because I think him so. When a corner near the rhododendrons has concealed them from view, Dysart rises from his seat and goes deliberately over to where Lady Swansdon is sitting. She is an old friend of his, and he has therefore no qualms about being a little brusque with her where occasion demands it. Have a game, says he. His suggestion is full of playfulness. His tone, however, is stern dear felix why says she smiling up at him beautifully there is even a suspicion of amusement in her smile a change says he his words this time might mean something his tone anything she can read either as she pleases true says she laughing there is nothing like change you have wakened me to a delightful fact lord baltimore turning languidly to her companion who has been a little distrait since his wife and son passed by him what do you say to trying a change for just we two variety they say is charming shall we try if shade and coolness and comfort are to be found in that enchanting glade down there she points as she speaks to an opening in the wood where perpetual twilight seems to reign as seen from where they are now sitting if you will said baltimore still a little vaguely he gets up however and stretches his arms indolently above his head as one might who is flinging from him the remembrance of an unpleasant dream the sun here is intolerable says lady swanston rising too more than one can endure thanks dear felix for your suggestion i should never have thought of the glade if you hadn't asked me to play that impossible game she smiles a little maliciously at dysart and accompanied by lord baltimore moves away from the assembled groups upon the lawn to the dim recesses of the leafy glade sold says mr brown to dysart it is always impossible to dicky to hold his tongue but you needn't look so cut up about it it isn't good enough my dear fellow i know em both by heart baltimore is as much in love with her as he is with his irish tenants but his imagination is his strong point and it pleases him to think he has found at last for the twentieth time a solace for all his woes in the disinterested love of somebody it really never much matters who there is more in it than you think says dysart gloomily not a fraction airily and what of her lady swansdon oh of her her heart has been in such constant use for years that by this time it must be in tatters give up thinking about that ah here is my beloved girl again he makes an elaborate gesture of delight as he sees joyce advancing in his direction dear joyce beaming on her who shall say there is nothing in animal magnetism here i have been just talking about you to dysart and telling him what a lost soul i feel when you are away and instantly as if in answer to my keen desire you appear before me why aren't you playing tennis demands miss cavanagh with a cruel disregard of this flowery speech 
because i was waiting for you well i'll beat you says she i always do not if you play on my side reproachfully what have you for a partner nonsense dicky you know i shouldn't dream of that twas ever thus quotes mr brown mournfully the sincerest worship gains only scorn and contumely but never mind the day will come to an end sighs miss kavanagh giving a finish to his sentence never meant that cheerfully is just what i think if we don't have a game now the shades of night will be on us before we can look round us will you play with me says dysart with pleasure keep your eye on his near court and when this game is at an end call it ours she sinks into a chair as she speaks and dysart who is in a silent mood flings himself on the grass at her feet and falls into a reverie to be conversational is unnecessary dicky brown is on the spot hotter and hotter grows the sun the evening comes on apace a few people from the neighbouring houses have dropped in mrs monkton amongst others with tommy in tow the latter who is supposed to entertain a strong affection for lady baltimore's little son no sooner however sees dicky brown than he gives himself up to his keeping what the attraction is that mr brown has for children has never yet been clearly defined it is the more difficult to arrive at a satisfactory conclusion about it in that no child was ever yet left in his sole care for ten minutes without coming to blows or tears or a determined attempt at murder or suicide his mother seeing tommy veering towards this uncertain friend turns a doubtful eye on mr brown better come with me tommy says she i'm going to the gardens to find lady baltimore she will have bertie with her i'll stay with dicky says tommy flinging himself broadcast on mr brown's reluctant chest that gives forth a compulsory vow as he does so he'll tell me a story don't be unhappy mrs monkton says the latter when he has recovered a little from the shock tommy is a well-grown boy with a sufficient amount of adipose matter about him to make his descent felt i'll promise to be careful nothing french i assure you nothing that could shock the young mind or teach it how to shoot in the wrong direction my tales are always strictly moral well tommy be good says mrs monkton with a last imploring glance at her son who has already forgotten her existence being lost in a wild wrestling match with his new friend with deep forebodings his mother leaves him and goes upon her way passing joyce she says in a low whisper keep an eye on tommy both eyes if you like laughing but dicky in spite of his evil reputation seldom goes to extremes tommy does however says mrs monkton brightly well i'll look after him and so perhaps she might have done had not a light step sounding just behind her chair at this moment caused her to start to look round to forget all but what she now sees he's a very aristocratic-looking man tall with large limbs and big indeed in every way his eyes are light his nose a handsome roman his forehead massive and if not grand in the distinctly intellectual way still a fine forehead and impressive his hands are of a goodly size but exquisitely proportioned 
and very white the skin almost delicate he is rather like his sister lady baltimore and yet so different from her in every way that the distinct resemblance that is surely there torments the observer why says joyce it is the most foolish exclamation and means nothing but she finds herself a little taken off her guard i didn't know you were here she has half risen neither did i how do you do dysart until half an hour ago won't you shake hands he holds out his own hand to her as he speaks there is a quizzical light in his eyes as he speaks nothing to offend but one can see that he finds amusement in the fact that the girl has been so much impressed by his unexpected appearance that she has even forgotten the small usual act of courtesy with which we greet our friends she had indeed been dead to everything but his coming you came falters she stammering a little as she notes her mistake by the midday train i gave myself just time to snatch a sandwich from purdon the butler say a word or two to my sister whom i found in the garden and then came on here to ask you to play this next game with me oh i'm so sorry but i have promised it to the words are out of her mouth before she has realized the fact that dysart is listening dysart who is lying at her feet watching every expression in her mobile face she colors hotly and looks down at him confused lovely i didn't mean that she says trying to smile indifferently only don't says dysart not loudly not curtly yet in so strange and decided a way that it renders her silent you mustn't mind me says he a second later in his usual calm tone i know you and beauclerk are wonderful players you can give me a game later on a capital arrangement says beauclerk comfortably sinking into a chair beside her with all the lazy manner of a man at peace with himself and his word especially as i shall have to go in presently to write some letters for the evening post he places his elbows on the arm of the chair brings the ends of his fingers together and beams admiringly at joyce over the tops of them how busy you always are says she slowly well you see this appointment or rather the promise of it keeps me going tremendous lot of interest to work up good deal of bother you know but then beggars eh can't be choosers can they and i should like to go to the east that is if he pauses beams again and looks boldly into miss kavanagh's eyes she blushes hotly and dropping her fan makes a little attempt to pick it up again mr beauclerk makes another little attempt and so manages that his hand meets hers there is a slight and almost benevolent pressure had they looked at dysart as they both resumed their places they could have seen that his face is white as death miss kavanagh too looks a little pale a little uncertain but as a whole nervously happy i have been down at that old place of mine goes on mr beauclerk terrible disrepair takes thousands to put in any sort of order and where's one to get them that's the one question that has no answer nowadays eh dysart there is an answer however says dysart curtly not looking at him ah well i suppose so but i haven't heard it yet oh yes i think you have says dysart quite politely but grimly nevertheless dear fellow how where unless one discovers a mine or an african diamond field or an heiress says dysart incidentally ah lucky dog that comes home to you says beauclerk giving him a playful pat on his shoulder and stooping from his chair to do it as dysart still sits upon the grass not to me 
no you will be modest well well but talking of that old place i assure you miss kavanagh it worries me it does indeed it sounds like one's duty to restore it and still there are better things than an even old place says dysart ah you haven't one you see says beauclerk with the utmost geniality if you had i really think if you had you would understand that it requires a sacrifice to give it up to moths and rust and ruin i said there were better things than old places says dysart doggedly never looking in his direction and if there are make a sacrifice poof lucky fellows like you gay soldier lads with hearts as light as sunbeams can easily preach but sacrifices are not so easily made there is that horrid word duty and a man must sometimes think joyce as though the last word had struck some answering chord that wounds her as it strikes looks suddenly at him what was it barbara had said he was a man who would always think is he thinking now even now at this moment is he weighing matters in his mind ha says beauclerk rising and pointing to the court nearest them that game is over come on miss kavanagh let us go and get our scalps i say dysart will you fight it out with us no thanks afraid gaily of you no smiling the smile is admirably done and would be taken as the genuine article anywhere of miss kavanagh then for a brief instant and evidently against his wish dysart's eyes meet those of joyce perhaps says he a poor compliment to me says beauclerk with his pleasant laugh that always rings so softly well never mind i forgive you get a good partner my dear fellow so she may pull you through you see i depend entirely upon mine with a glance at joyce full of expression there's miss maliphant now she'd make a good partner if you like i shouldn't says dysart immovably she plays a good game i can tell you so do you says dysart oh now dysart don't be sarcastic says beauclerk laughing i believe you are afraid of me not of miss kavanagh and that's why you won't play but if you were to put yourself in miss maliphant's hands i don't say but that you would have a chance of beating me i shall beat you by myself or not at all says dysart suddenly and for the first time looking fair at him a single you mean yes a single well shall we says beauclerk ha there is court courtenay come along miss kavanagh we must make up a set as best we may as dysart is too lazy to face us the next game is ours mr dysart remember says she glancing at dysart over her shoulder there's a touch of anxiety in her eyes i always remember says he with a rather ambiguous smile what is he remembering now joyce's mouth gave a grave curve as she follows beauclerk down the marble steps that lead to the tennis ground below the evening has grown very still the light wind that all day long has sung among the leaves has gone to sleep only the monotonous countings of the tennis players can be heard suddenly above these another sound arises it is not the voice of the charmer it is the voice of tommy in full cry and mad with the desire to gain the better of the argument now going on between him and mr brown mr brown is still however holding his own he generally does his voice grows eloquent all can hear i shall tell my story tommy in my own way or i shall not tell it at all the dignity that mr brown throws into his threat is hardly to be surpassed. End of chapter 8